Parents, if you've ever experienced bedtime battles with the kids, I'm going to let you into a little secret. The Koala Moon podcast has revolutionised over 20 million bedtimes, with parents like you calling it life-changing and the perfect nighttime routine. With original kids' bedtime stories and cosy sleep meditations, every episode has been specially designed to make bedtimes a dream. Listen to Koala Moon on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Discover a new educational and interactive podcast, Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids. Our episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We went shape hunting around the block, and we found spheres and cubes on the street. That was great fun. Join Stories for Kids, the Lingo Kids podcast, inspiring you to learn while having fun. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Hardwood Handicappers Podcast. They're a bunch of guys who ain't never played the game, and they never got the girls in high school, and they just want to get in the game. With your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. See, the thing is, you guys look at me, you see the backwards hat, the uh, gray socks, the funky outfit, and you say, now this guy's a chump, am I right? No, f***ing geek. A, a f***ing geek. Only on the VSIN Podcast Network. What up, folks? Welcome in another edition, late Wednesday night recording of the uh, Harvard Handicappers podcast. Um, um, a Thursday preview, a look at the Eastern Conference semis up on deck, of course, with Milwaukee and Boston being set. Really quickly, wanted to get something out of the way. Apparently, uh, we've been having some back-end issues. So I don't know if the podcast has been posted the last couple of episodes. Back-end, there were some problems. So hopefully you're listening to this at this point right now. If not, well, then we'll figure it out at some point. But... Uh, hopefully, these can start getting posted a little bit more regularly. Uh, again, a small issue on the back end, which should be solved at this point right now. So, uh, with that, again, recording this late Wednesday night. So, games are just final right now. Milwaukee ends their series with Chicago, gets a 116-100 win. And Golden State ends their series with Denver with a 102-98 win. So, a very good performance uh, from both of the favorites and the higher-seeded teams to win in five and move on. Eh, still a little salty about Milwaukee because we knew that they had them this in them, but uh, wanted to fart around there in game two. So with that, what I really wanted to talk about, and the main chunk of this podcast is going to be this Eastern Conference semifinals matchup between Milwaukee and Boston. It is now set. Westgate Superbook, first one up on the market. Celtics open up as a $1.75 favorite, immediately gets bet up to minus 180 over at the Westgate Superbook when it gets posted. And not surprising, I was texting with Jeff Sherman over at the Westgate Superbook a couple, like, well, actually, was it yesterday? I think it was yesterday on Tuesday. Um, but regardless, you know, we were texting back and forth. And for those who don't know, Jeff Sherman is in charge of uh, the making of the odds for both golf and the NBA. Uh, among many other things. Jeff's awesome. At Golf Odds up on Twitter. I'm sure if you were listening to this ridiculous podcast, then you are 99.9% uh, 
chance that you're following him. But regardless, um, ooh, Giants just lost. That's good for my uh, San Francisco Giants under uh, distractions all over the place. So I was texting with him, and you know, I I expected this price to be somewhere around minus two hundred, um, maybe even a little bit higher than that, just given the Chris Middleton injury, which of course we will get to, uh, and the improved power rating on a um, Boston Celtics team. Again, you know, minus 200. Not t- it's a little high, I guess you would think, against the defending champs. An implied probability of 66.7%. So uh, you understand opening it up at the minus 175 mark. Uh, but as you mentioned, the, the market is in here a little bit on the Boston Celtics. So we'll see where this eventually ends up. Um, but let's let's take a look at this series at a really at a pretty good, pretty good look at this series. It's going to get started uh, on May 1st, which is Sunday. But let's first, let's look at what we know. Regular season, these two teams split a four-game set. Boston, intriguingly enough, uh, covered all four games. But you look at the four games that these, three, that these two teams played. Three of the four games took place before 2022, and that's before the scheme changed with Robert Williams, right, moving more off-ball in the defensive schemes, having Horford be the guy who was defending the opposing fives on defense, Robert Williams becoming more of a help defender, and in that regard, really improving the defensive output of the Boston Celtics. And so you, you you don't really take a lot out of these games. November 12th, 2021, it was a 112-113 win for Boston. No Giannis, no Middleton, no Brooke Lopez from Milwaukee, no Jalen Brown for Boston. Hell, Dennis Schroeder was still on the team. December 13th, that was um, a 117-103 win for Boston. No Brooke Lopez from Milwaukee. Giannis, Middleton, Holiday all played. And the regular starting five for the Celtics, Tatum, Brown, Smart, Horford, Williams, so you can kind of circle and go back to that December 13th matchup. Was it, again, a 117-103 win for Boston. Go back and see some of the some of the things that worked well for either team. I think that would probably be... That, no, I wouldn't say probably. That is the closest that you're going to get between the four uh, among the four regular season matchups as what we're going to get in this series that we're about to unfold, that is about to unfold before us. Because the other two games, they played again in December. DeMarcus Cousins, Grayson Allen were in the starting lineup with Antetokounmpo, Middleton, Holiday. DeMarcus Cousins just got eliminated by the Golden State Warriors because he plays for the Denver Nuggets. No Horford for Boston. Romeo Langford was in the starting lineup. Langford into the season uh, with the Spurs. Jabari Parker and Juancho Hernan Gomez were both playing uh, for the Celtics, in fact, played 12-plus minutes on Christmas. So gives you an idea of where the rosters were at at that point. And when they met before the regular season ended, uh, while the Bucks threw out their complete starting unit, Jason Tatum, Al Horford, Robert Williams were all out for Boston. So again, you can't really read too much into the regular season. I would stress that maybe you go back, and I'm going to go back personally and watch uh, the December 13th game, see if you can pull anything from there. Uh, but again, that was before the change in terms of the schemes for the Boston Celtics. So as you kind of look at the regular season, when we transition over to what this postseason series is going to look like, the first thing that you start with is what in the world is the case with Chris Middleton? Like what's going to happen with Middleton in this series? Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski was on NBA Today with uh, Malik Andrews and actually uh, discussed this, and it doesn't sound good for Middleton or the Bucks. He'll get that reevaluation uh, at the 14-day, two-week point next week. Uh, but you know, I'm told that injury is expected to keep him out longer than that. It's not a, there's not a sense that he's going to get reevaluated at two weeks and all of a sudden be back at practice uh, and be ready to play. That, that, that's good. That's a benchmark in this process. But the Bucks certainly, you know, they're on the cusp of getting by the Bulls here. Yep. They may have to get through another series, a conference semifinal, uh, before they may have the opportunity to get Chris Middleton back in this season. So they have to maybe go through a conference semifinal 
before getting Middleton back. Obviously, that means this series with Boston, that's not a very good, and as you noted, uh, that was from um, to earlier today. So as we know, um, the Bulls have been eliminated. But regardless, um, potentially this entire series without Chris Middleton, that's, that's tough. It's an insanely big loss for the Milwaukee Bucks. Because Middleton himself, Middleton, he doesn't get enough credit for how good of a player uh, he is. This year, solid season, 20.1 points on 44% shooting from the floor, 37% from three, five and a half rebounds, five and a half assists per game. A good playoff player, uh, 20 points in the postseason, 41% from the floor, 39% from three, six and five for in terms of rebounds and assists. So what do we make of Milwaukee without him? Well, first, let's... Thank you, Siri. I don't know where you're getting six plus five, but look at that. That's what you do. I have this new Apple Watch that I'm, you know, I've been um, that I've been trying to use and mess with, and uh, still getting the hang of it. I feel like an old man saying that. Regardless, before I was rudely interrupted. So three games since the Middleton injury, Bucks have rolled with Drew Holiday, Wes Matthews, Bobby Portis, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Brooke Lopez as their starting five. Uh, that is a unit that did actually not did not play. Uh, a single minute together in the regular season. I, cleaning the glass had them together on the floor for three possessions. Um, so we'll call it zero. Against Chicago, 31 minutes for that group. And and the returns were good, right? 114.7 on offense in terms of the efficiency rating. Defense, 90.9. That equated to a plus 23.8 net rating. But it's Chicago. It's a team that is thoroughly outmatched in their series with the, uh, Chicago, excuse me, with the Milwaukee Bucks. I think the first takeaway when you look at that starting five, not a ton of high-level ball handling with those five out there. And and it showed, too, in the assist numbers. They only assisted on 43.4% of their made field goals, a 1.44 assist-to-turnover ratio against Chicago. Uh, Those five out there on the floor, according to the NBA tracking data, if you're wondering, that would put you well into dead last in terms of assist rate and assist-to-turnover ratio. And that could be a problem, right? You're facing a Boston team who can force turnovers at a high level. They forced Brooklyn to commit turnovers on 16.1 of their possessions in the first round. And outside of Giannis, not that Middleton really is one, but in their starting five without him, not really true north-south threat that's going to force the issue within four feet of the basket, get to the free throw line. And when you look at just the way Boston has been playing, with their ability to switch pretty much everything at this point right now, um, the, not even just right now, like they, this is what they're doing, right? They're switching pretty much everything if they want to. Uh, the ability to feel comfortable with, hey, man, we've got three guys who are about six seven who we feel comfortable switching on to really any one matchup. Uh, yes, we'll give up some size to a guy like Giannis Antetokounmpo, but uh, we'll be able, and Al Horford has done a good job on him in the past defensively, Robert Williams is going to be a pretty intriguing piece just hovering around uh, in the corner when you're talking about guarding guys like Bobby Portis because he'll be, again, defensively more off-ball and be able to help um, in certain situations, especially when Giannis is driving to the basket and he's going into one of the one-on-one matchups. You'll probably see more of that uh, scheme that we talked about in those years past, right, where Toronto was building the wall against Giannis Antetokounmpo and two or three guys crashing in and forcing the rest of them to win their one-on-one matchups. I just, I like everything that Boston brings to the table. I said this the other day, the Celtics to me are the best team in the Eastern Conference right now, especially with this Middleton injury. Um, Everything that this team has to offer. And then you get to the flip side of it, which is the Milwaukee Bucks defensively. The Milwaukee Bucks drove drove me crazy in those first two games because they were just casually going out there and again, running their drop coverage. And the problem was, especially in that second game against Chicago, 
DeMar DeRozan was just walking into long mid-range jumpers. That's part of his game. And they were running pick and pops with Nikola Vucevic. Why it didn't work for Chicago was that Chicago did not take advantage of what is given to you when you're consistently facing drop coverage. The Celtics are going to run pick and pops and they'll shoot three-pointers. The Celtics, if the guy is going to drop off in the pick and roll, if it's going to be Brooke Lopez or Giannis when he's playing the five, which the Bucs did that a couple of times against Chicago, I didn't really understand playing drop coverage with Giannis at center. The whole point of him playing center is that you can switch pretty much everything when he's out there on the floor with the rest of the guys. Um, But against those coverages, the Celtics have the personnel to eat that up. They're going to kick it out to open shooters. They're going to run pick and pops and kill them in drop coverage. If they're going to drop and, you know, uh, effectively cover the guy who's going to flare out to the three-point line, Jason Tatum is a perfectly comfortable mid-range scorer. Jalen Brown is a perfectly comfortable mid-range scorer. They're going to be able to offer that. Al Horford is a is a very good three-point shooter for a big who's going to be able to take advantage of him on those pick and pop matchups. Like, that's going to be something where Milwaukee's going to have to make that adjustment defensively, and they're going to have to make it quick. They're going to go back. They got to go back to those defensive schemes they were running against the Phoenix Suns and near the end of their series in the Eastern Conference Finals last year where they were not only playing more Giannis at the five, but they were switching more, switching much more. And it just, it bothered me watching what they were doing at the beginning of the series against Chicago. And again, it's the Bulls. It's a team that you picked. It's a team that you match up really well against and that you weren't really, you were kind of getting through the motions. But without Chris Middleton, your effort defensively is going to have to be much better. And that's the other thing too. I mean, the uh, Boston Celtics, they'll be they'll be comfortable hunting certain guys too. Bobby Portis, when he's out there, they have some size and guys like Wes Matthews too. I just I think there's so many things that work in the favor of Boston right now that I, I'm comfortable playing them in this series. I'm really curious though what the betting market does with a price like this. You have the defending champs, and granted, look they're the lower seed, so they don't have home court. They don't have one of their best players. We have the defending champs at a price that's nearly. What, plus 155, plus 160? How the market handles this, but I think the Celtics are going to be the side to back here. We saw the initial push from the market up to minus 180. That's a, that's a sharp move. That's a respected move. Um, you're not going to, you know, buy, books aren't going to move a series price like that. Five cents, and it's only five cents, some would say, but still, you're not going to move a price like that early for nothing. So there was a read in the market or somebody bet it that was respected enough to push it up just the five cents, but still, I like Boston here. And I have this ticket on him. I hope, hopefully, you guys were listening to the podcast all those months ago when we added the Boston Celtics at sixty-six to one over at BetMGM to win the NBA Finals. This team is really freaking good, and they have a lot of really good depth. And I think they're going to uh, win this series against the Milwaukee Bucks. So I'm going to see what the market does. I've got until Sunday to play it, uh, but I will be um, I will be betting on the Boston Celtics to win this series against the Milwaukee Bucks. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. 
You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now let's go to Thursday. Man. <laughs> I am so excited about what is going to happen. I was talking about this with Gil Alexander when I went uh when he had me on primetime action, man, did the NBA screw this up? Sorry, you hear me hitting my chair. To have this, and I, I guess you can't really foresee this to a certain extent, but like to have three games on the day of the NFL draft, and one of those games, the drama, the drama that will be in Toronto for Philly and Toronto, game six is going to be incredible. It is going to be one of the best playoff environments. I'm, I'm hoping, at least, it's going to be one of the best playoff environments that I've seen in a really long time. It's going to be freaking awesome. Um, but let's talk about this. Philly opens up a one-and-a-half-point favorite, total of 209.5. As of this recording Wednesday night, it's still sitting there right now. So let's talk about what's, what's gone wrong for Philly up to this point. So first, you got to start with the offense. It's completely disappeared. Uh, Toronto has held the 76ers to 102.4 points per 100 possessions overall. 102.1 in non-garbage time over the last three games. Uh, so not a big difference. has been a lot of garbage time in the last three games anyway. They have a defensive turnover rate, Toronto does, of 19.9%. Think about that. Pretty much 20% of the offensive possessions for the Philadelphia 76ers have turned into turnovers. Those turnovers then have turned into offense for Toronto. Transition off of steals for the Toronto Raptors over the last three games. They've added 4.4 points per 100 possessions to their offensive rating, 182.4 points per pl- per 100 plays in terms of their transition offensive efficiency. They have been brilliant in terms of defending, forcing turnovers, and using those turnovers and in, uh, shifting this and tilting the floor, put it that way, and turning it into offense. 
And the other thing, too, is if you remember those first two games, Philadelphia was just this whirlwind of transition offense out of nowhere. A team that finished in the bottom half of the league in transition efficiency in terms of frequency of transition was all of a sudden running up and down the floor, putting up offensive ratings of like 180 or whatever it was in the first two games in transition. The Philadelphia 76ers have been completely cut off in transition. Over the last three games, they have actually lost they have taken away from their offensive rating in transition. Negative 0.4 in terms of points added per 100 possessions in transition. And in terms of points per 100 plays in transition, just 100. It has been the Toronto Raptors and what they've done defensively in transition. And part of it, too, has been limiting the turnovers. Because a lot of the transition opportunities in the first two games for Toronto were committing turnovers. They have cut that down a little bit, and that has been a big reason why. But Toronto has been brilliant in their transition defense, and they have been a top team defensively and offensively in transition. They've completely turned that around. They deserve so much credit for... I don't like, and they've made adjustments here, but what they have been able to do in terms of just limiting the mistakes and playing more their brand of basketball. Like, this is what we talked about in the series preview. This is what I I hung my hat on in terms of the Philadelphia 76ers having an issue with the Toronto Raptors. The difference in transition, I thought, was going to be a really big part of this. And over the last three games, it has played out that way. And the thing that sucks for the Toronto Raptors is one of those three games is the one at the end where Precious Chua doesn't hit his free throws and they end up losing in overtime in that amazing shot from Joel Embiid. So I think that's the first part. The offense has disappeared for Philadelphia. Toronto has really taken advantage. They've been forcing turnovers, getting out in transition, and scoring in transition. Also, passive and ineffective Harden has shown up as well. Harden the last two games, just 18.5 points per game, 32.1% from the floor, 28.6% from three, eight assists and three and a half rebounds. So not only has passive Harden showed up, but I guess like sometimes passive Harden will at least give you a 12 to 15 assists per game um not only that not even that just eight for Harden in these last two games he's three of seven in the last two games in the restricted area he's been to the free throw line only 17 times over those two games so he's not forcing the issue within four feet he's relying on those step back threes he's not getting to the free throw line as often and Maxi has completely come off of the high the last or the first two games and over the last three averaging 14 points on 38% shooting from the floor, 18% shooting from three, four rebounds, 3.7 assists. It's it's been a complete turnaround for this Raptors defense and they're so good on that end of the floor. They really are. If you just watch them, the rotations are clean and crisp. They close out on shooters. Guys know exactly where to go when a guy helps off of another dude. They are so effective on that end of the floor. And every time Joel Embiid catches the ball in the middle of the paint, there are three Raptors there immediately, forcing them to get, like, forcing the ball out of Joel Embiid's hands or forcing him to try to get up through contact with that hand injury that he's dealing with. I have been so impressed with Toronto over the last couple of games. And this is going to be an incredible environment. And I will say, we have the, uh, I guess you want to call it the looming specter uh, of the absence of Matisse Thibel. I don't think it's that big of a deal anymore, mainly because in that last game, Matisse Thibel just couldn't play. He couldn't play offensively. He's an absolute negative on the offensive end of the floor. The Raptors were so brilliant when he was out there on the floor, just completely ignoring him essentially on offense, letting him shoot threes if he wanted to, letting him catch it uncontested, not really closing out. They played that brilliantly. And without him on the floor, actually, it might make the Toronto Raptors' job a little bit harder. Now, defense, just because now they have to account for all the guys out there. But still, I mean, on the other end, Toronto's going to have one less good defender on the floor. So could work. it's obviously going to be one that works out either way. And then you just get this. And look, 
I am I am one that is big on data and analysis and all these things, but you have what happened last year with the Atlanta Hawks in the postseason, and you have Doc Rivers coming out the other day in a massive defense of himself with these blown three one leads, the throwing throwing his Orlando Magic team under the bus completely, saying, "Look at the roster, you see that." It was amazing they were up 3-1 over Detroit. I I just think that this has become, this has shifted completely. This has shifted completely in terms of momentum, obviously. But this is now a giant, like, mental thing for the Philadelphia 76ers. Watching this go down again. Losing two consecutive games. Barely getting by in game three. Then losing two straight. Losing comfortably on your own home court. Now to go back into this environment to stay, you know, to stave off a game seven winner take all back in Philly. Your crowd is booing you in game five. It's just a really tough situation for the 76ers. I think the Raptors are going to extend this out. I think the Raptors win tomorrow or Thursday, whenever you're you're listening to this. I think what they've done in transition, the changes they've made, the better effort defensively, and even without Fred Van Vliet, they have enough there with Scotty Barnes back, I think, to make this thing a real series and force a game seven. This is going to be... One of the best playoff games of the uh, postseason this year. It is, just flat out. I cannot wait. Um, So, give me the Raptors here in that game. I'm not going to bet it, personally. I'm going to wait in game and see if uh, maybe I can get uh, Philly at a plus price, something like that. Uh, Not Excuse me, not Philly. Um, What I'm going to, uh, that was my strategy for Game 7. If they force a Game 7, I misspoke. If they force a Game 7, then I'm going to look to get Philly at a plus price. Hopefully, Toronto gets off to a good lead in the Game 7 so that I can... Uh, get something, I can hedge a little bit on this uh, Philadelphia, or excuse me, this uh, Toronto series price that I got going. But this is why, this is, I don't mean to yell, but this is why, okay, to the guy out there who sent me like 13 consecutive tweets telling me I needed to explain and apologize for the Toronto Raptors pick, which by the way, we talk about all the time. Um, This is why you never celebrate too early. Even when it's a 3-0 series lead, it's why you never celebrate too early. So again, Look, Philly could come out, everybody turns everything around, they end the series in six and they move on. But what Toronto's been able to do here has been great, and I think the environment really plays out for them uh, tomorrow, so I think they're going to win that game at Force in Game 7. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how, I don't know where, I don't know what. God, if you show me, God, if you tell me, God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. 
I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's go to the uh, next matchup here that we're going to talk about. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the New Orleans Pelicans and Phoenix Suns series because this has turned out to be a fun one. Uh, New Orleans falls 3-2 in the series. It falls down to 3-2 in the series after losing the other game in Phoenix. And it's kind of weird, man, because this is this is sometimes in basketball it's almost as simple as this. And I brought this up when it came to Denver. And you finally got this, like, surge in terms of the role players for the Phoenix Suns when they went back home, mainly as Mikael Bridges. Mikael Bridges was awesome. 31 points, 12 of 17 from the floor, 4 of 4 from three-point range. And, and that was really what made the difference. You did get more effective outings from certain guys, like Campaign hit two of his three-point shots. He scored 12 points. Um, but as we move back to New Orleans, the thing to watch here is going to be, again, it's it's always going to be, in this series, at least as long as it continues, it's going to be the small lineups, specifically when Larry Nance Jr. is out there as the biggest guy because that has given them problems, um, how they handle that those lineups and how they handle it in transition. If you looked at this last game between these two, New Orleans was terrible in transition. A negative 1.4 in terms of points added per 100 possessions. Points per play, 87.5. Again, just essentially just think of that as overall offensive efficiency in transition. Uh, not very good. And it's not like New Orleans has been running up and down the floor a bunch. Actually, in terms of transition frequency, it's been pretty low for them in this series up to this point, 11.6% of their possessions starting with a transition play. Uh, but they've just been really effective in those uh, in that area of the floor. Uh, added, three point, uh, added three points per 100 possessions through transition offense so far through the series. That's including this awful performance that they just had. 136.8 in terms of the overall offensive rating. So transition, those smaller lineups. But Larry Nance on the floor in Game 5. A negative 10 or minus 10 in terms of plus minus. Uh, they were plus 12 in the two games in New Orleans with Larry Nance out there on the floor. So I think what, what bothers me here about what what transpired in that game for Phoenix, it, it's just that you just had that outlier performance, right? Like I mentioned the somewhat better numbers from campaign, but he still wasn't overly efficient from the floor. Is Mikhail Bridges going to come in and all of a sudden 
score 30-plus points again? Because that's what they desperately need. I mean, other than Chris Paul going nuts in the fourth quarter of Game 3, Game 4, I mean, nobody else had anything. We, we can talk about Chris Paul we want, but it's about the fact that he had no, no help uh, in Game 4 in New Orleans. That was the really big problem. When you looked at it, those bench those bench minutes and units are just so bad. When you have like Cameron Payne and Torrey Craig and Cam Johnson on the floor together with a JaVale McGee, like it's just it's it's not a good looking lineup overall. There's not a lot of scoring. They're running plays for Torrey Craig, who's not really a scorer as we know. Um, but just like just go back to that game on the twenty fourth, right? That was game four that they lost and the series got tied up. If you look outside of the starters, and even the even some of the starters weren't that effective. But again, like Landry Shamit, three of five, seven points in that game. Campaign eight uh, eight points, three of ten from the floor. Torrey Craig three points, one of four from the floor. Those issues with the bench are still going to be there because it doesn't seem like Devin Booker's coming back anytime soon. In fact, let's listen to Woj here. Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski again on uh, NBA Today talked about this and. I guess the Suns aren't really like giving up on the fact that he could be Devin Booker available uh, for this series, specifically this game. But it does sound like uh, more than likely it's going to be something else. The Suns have been careful to not rule uh, Devin Booker out of this series. They've really tried uh, to handle publicly anyway uh, his absence on a game-by-game basis. Uh, The original timeline the expectation we were told was two to three weeks, but perhaps two weeks. That it would be potentially into a second round series before he'd be ready to come back. And in a perfect world for the Suns, they'd be able to close this series out, obviously, in game six. They've got two chances to do it in game six or game seven. They've not ruled Booker out of either of those games yet, uh, but it still feel as, feels as though, Malika, uh, that this is a an injury that, uh, Devin Booker would be able to return from sometime in the conference semifinals. Yeah, sometime in the conference semifinals. And that makes more sense. So I just, I say all of this to say that I'm not entirely sure. I don't think when I watched that game the other day, I don't think the Suns found something. I don't think there was some elixir, some adjustment that they found that helped them deal with the small lineups of New Orleans. I, to me, I just watched a, te- a team that got a better performance from one of the role players. And if they get that in game six... They can certainly close that game out. They're more than capable of doing it. And I still think that they win this series. But what worries me about like laying it on the road and thinking that they're going to be able to take care of business here, I think you're just going to get a similar game to games three and four, which were uber competitive, which they had a really tough time pulling away from New Orleans, eventually lost game four, as we know. I think these games are going to take on that more of that shape uh, than what we just saw, uh, uh, that what we just saw transpire over in Phoenix. So had a really strong lean to New Orleans in this game tomorrow. Haven't made a play. I want to see where the line gets to um, in terms of right now, it's at one and a half in favor of Phoenix. That's not really worth playing, I think, in my mind, in terms of taking one and a half or the money line. Want to see what the market does with a number like that. I have a feeling they'll probably drive it up. I mean, you're looking at it right now. It's already up to two in multiple spots. Uh, BetMGM's got two and a half. They're always a little high on the market. So we will see where this eventually ends up. But sharper books like Westgate and like Circa are up to two. So you'd expect that that's probably the direction we get to. So if it's a full three, grab it there with the uh, the New Orleans Pelicans. But uh, very much interested in that game and in that series because that's been a damn fun one. Uh, on to the final game for Thursday, Dallas-Utah. Keep this relatively short. I mean, I got a play here, but it's it's nothing that's um, that's a value to anybody. I grabbed two and a half the other day with 
um, Dallas because I figured the market was going to move on that certainly and has. But as far as this game goes, you know, again when I was texting with Jeff Sherman over at the Westgate, I uh, I told him that I, I figured they would open at two and a half in favor of Utah, just given the swing back, um, just given the swing back to uh, home and. Uh, the fact that the the market does seem to overvalue Utah a little bit. The fact that the uh, the market likes to bet on the team that just lost the previous game as well. So um, thought that was going to be ultimately the case, but uh, it opened two and a half in favor of Dallas. That was ridiculous, and that was because they thought Doncic or excuse me, uh, 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 Donovan Mitchell wasn't going to play. And can I just stress this to anybody who's listening to this right now? Um, don't be afraid. Like, this was my strategy because I think Dallas is in very much in position to win this game. think they will. I like this Dallas team a lot. Um, I've been surprised by the market's rating of Utah in this series. But having said that, you know, keep an eye on these numbers and how this market reacts to certain things because in this series alone, there's been some weird handling of information and news. So we'll, we'll, we'll start with uh, game four in Utah, right? So all of the indications for that game was that Luka Doncic was going to play in that game. Everything that I read, the reports, all pointed to game four. There was a report uh, even that uh, Tim, uh, that I think it was Tim McMahon put out there that Doncic had been playing four on four, no pain, was looking like he was going to be ready to go. But it's weird because for that game, market opens five, gets to six, closes five and a half when Doncic is officially announced. That's despite the fact that for game three, when Doncic didn't play, that number was sitting at seven. And when it's officially announced he's out, it goes to eight and a half. Now, that's a really bad number. And I even played a bad number in that game. And obviously, they got there because they won that. But I just talk about the weird way that the market has handled these injuries and this news that is like that is out there. And then for this game, for example, those two and a halfs were out there for a while. And that was despite the report that Donovan Mitchell's hamstring was the, the MRA came back negative and that he was coming out and saying that he was going to play. So when it's officially announced that he's going to play, we're still floating around this pick minus one range. I'd expect that the Jazz would be about a one and a half point favorite by the time this closes. But at the end of the day, when you look at what the Dallas Mavericks have done in this series over the last couple of games, their ability to take advantage of this poor perimeter defense of the Utah Jazz getting dribble penetration, kicking it out to open shooters, and their ability on defense. This has been the biggest thing because we can talk ad nauseum about how Dallas is taking advantage of that defense, or yeah, of Utah's defense. But the way Dallas is playing on, on their own defensive end has been absolutely incredible. Limiting what Utah wants to do from three-point range in non-garbage time minutes at game five. And so this cut out the last four minutes and 40 seconds of that game. The Jazz went three of 27 from three-point range. It, it was just, it's, it's been incredible. This entire series, the ability to limit Utah, run them off the three-point line, not allow them to take those three-point shots. I have to say, and I got to go back and read what I wrote about Jason Kidd and the, the Dallas Mavericks before the series started. I know in the guy that took them over the win total. Um but kid has amazed me. Kid, I, I think, and it's just like these 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 players, these kids uh, that come in early into the league. They don't show a lot of promise, and, and teams give up on them, or, or fans give up on them. You know, you can adjust, you can change as a player, obviously, especially when you come in young. And Jason Kidd has clearly shown coaches change and adjust their philosophies, and they can become better coaches. And he's done a brilliant job. 
in terms of this team and getting the most out of them in terms of coaching this team and getting the most out of them defensively. But if you just look at what they have forced the Jazz to do in terms of not allowing them to take those those three-point shots, not allowing them to be comfortable on the three-point line, limiting them in terms of the accuracy. I mean, look at the three-point shooting for this series. 33.3% in Game 1, 32.1% in Game 3, 28.6% in Game 4, 11.1% in Game 5. It's been brilliant watching this team operate on that end. And that hasn't changed throughout this entire series. Luka Doncic or not, that hasn't changed. And the weaknesses on the other end of the floor, they're not going to go anywhere. So do you get a razzed-up Utah Jazz crowd that pushes them to a potential victory? Maybe. Uh, but I, and I just I think they deserve to be favored on their home court uh, by about a point and a half in that range, especially in a playoff setting and a potential elimination setting at that. Um, but this defense isn't going anywhere for the Dallas Mavericks. And I think they're going to win, and they're going to move on. They're going to win this series and move on. Um, maybe not tomorrow. Again, I, I make the Jazz a slight favorite, have a slight lean toward the Mavericks winning that game. The only reason I have plus two and a half is because it was a number grab figuring the market would move and I can set up a middle or do something with it, and that has been the case. But boy, oh boy, man, it is hard not to be impressed with the Dallas Mavericks. Very hard not to be impressed with the Dallas Mavericks. All right, so this is going to be a short one. I'll put, um, um, hopefully, again, and, and you know, really tr- trying to work out the kinks on the back end here in terms of everything going on with posting this on the website. The last couple of um, podcasts have not been... Uh, uh, reaching the usual audience, it seems. So hopefully you're listening to my voice um, because, yeah, NBA's fun, and this has been a lot of fun, and this postseason is going to be absolutely great. Anyway, this will be short. Again, vcin.com slash JVT. Keep your eye up uh, there because we're writing every single day uh, for the uh, daily market reports. Really hope you guys have been enjoying those. Got some good feedback on those. Those are a lot of fun to write too. And this is kind of the bummer part because now we're, we're going to start to get into the, where these series move on. Um you know, we had only two games on Wednesday night, and the second game turned out to be a lot of fun, but uh, two games of two prohibitive favorites, and, you know, it's just the schedule's going to start lighting up here in the next couple of weeks, and it kind of gets you a little a little bummed out, but it's been good playoff basketball. At me, JVT, up on Twitter. Hope to hear from you guys, and uh, hope you guys have been having a good postseason, man. Parents, if you've ever experienced bedtime battles with the kids, I'm going to let you into a little secret. The Koala Moon podcast has revolutionized over 20 million bedtimes with parents like you calling it life-changing and the perfect nighttime routine. With original kids' bedtime stories and cozy sleep meditations, every episode has been specially designed to make bedtimes a dream. Listen to Koala Moon on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Discover a new educational and interactive podcast, Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids. Our episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We went shape hunting around the block, and we found spheres and cubes on the street. That was great fun. Join Stories for Kids, the Lingo Kids podcast, inspiring you to learn while having fun. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is 
finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.